Hi, this is Elmore Leonard. I'm I'm listening to Film Sociology, and and uh, it's it's a real program. It's great. It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplex and the art house. What's new on video and streaming? And you might also hear about some dead people we like. We don't have time for dead people we don't like. <laughs> anyway, this is Film Sociology, where you'll find out what's the next cinematic marvel. It was unbelievable. And what's just a movie? Shut up! My God, you have no freaking life! Okay, here's your host and my dad, Matthew Sosi. Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocy, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. This show is available as a podcast, obviously, and it's also available on iTunes. And like all the podcasts here at WFYI, available on Spotify. Well, friends, we got through another week. I hope you had a good streak of music, uh, music, movies too. Why not? Arts of some form. <laughs> hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying sane out there. And uh, before I get to what I've reviewed, actually, I do have a, a review and an update. I, I gave you misinformation last week. I apologize for that. Yes, I gave you fake news about the uh, the series uh, Dadag, also known as The Day. And I want to say thank you, and I apologize to Teresa for pointing this out to me, that this series, this is one about the bank robbery from the police stand. Every other episode is from the police standpoint and then from the robbers and hostages standpoints. And I was corrected that the day is available exclusively in North America on Topic, the streaming service for First Look Media. And uh, in, in, even though the show comes from Belgium, it, it comes from Belgium, even though it's in Dutch and Flemish. So anyway, uh, thank you, Teresa. I apologize for the mix-up confusion there if you were looking for that. I did finish the episodes, 12, 12 episodes. I had stopped at episode 7 when I did last week's show. And what I figured out is once you, this is a bingeable series. Um, I, I kind of wish I did the entire day in one lazy day, but I sadly I did not. Um, because you get, like I said, alternate episodes... And it takes a while for it to to kick in. If you if you're a huge fan of uh, police procedures and crime procedures stories, you're you're really gonna dig this. Uh, I'm hoping they don't remake it in the U.S. or they they try to do a film version of this. It's not needed. It's fine in and of itself. And uh, for me, about episode eight, uh, things happen. As I used to say, Neil, uh, on the show at one time, plot things happen. We have an escape. We have, I don't want to give away too much. Um, we have interactions between the press and the police that uh, have a history. And obviously, by the time we get to episode 12, things wrap up in uh, in, in a very cool fashion. And, and one of those where you have to stay until the final final moment of the closing credits come on you did it for marvel you could do it for the dog so anyway it wraps up nicely by the time we get to episodes 11 and 12 so a uh, pretty decent twist along the way not overbearing uh not over the top and uh, and well done so if you get a chance go check out the dag or the day and uh, it is available on topic the streaming service for first 
Outlook Media. I also got to check out another ESPN 30 for 30, which I believe premieres Sunday nights. Of course, last week we talked about Be Water, the uh, cool documentary about Bruce Lee. Can't wait for my Bruce Lee Criterion box set to show up at the house. Long Gone Summer is about the 1998 baseball season and the big home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And a chance to relive that. Now, I got to live in the western suburbs of Chicago in 1998. I was living in Westmont and uh, got to watch these uh, via the TV and radio. And yes, I also got caught up in this uh, in this race. And this is this people have said this is the this was the event that brought fans back to baseball after the 1994 strike. And so watching who was going to win, and we shouldn't forget, and I was reminded of this, that Ken Griffey Jr. was also part of this race early on, and then it became uh, Sosa and McGuire. So we get the two participants back in a studio to be interviewed. Um, Obviously, the talking heads as far as fans and players and media from Chicago. And uh, all, all along as you're watching this... And and there was even though the, getting caught up in the race in '98, we also noticed that players got considerably bigger from one year to another. So it's it 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 it, it, it was floating very much on the on the surface, kind of like when Millie Vanilli came out, where if you if you dared to bring it up, you were ready for some brushback, but you were also ready for some support. But watching the documentary Long Gone Summer. The question becomes because you get interviews with separate interviews with McGuire and Sosa, you start to go, when do they address the elephant in the room? And they finally do about an hour and a half into the into the documentary, especially when you see footage of Bonds, Barry Bonds and the congressional things and uh, hearing quotes like every I think it was Sosa that says every everybody in that era did it. We know that in 2010, Mark McGuire came clean. Uh, he says he's still paying for the consequences. And, uh, and you know, he, he still swears he thought it was for mending injuries. Guess who who never really fessed up? And that's Sosa. And uh, we we knew uh, folks who followed baseball seriously uh, at that time knew that while on the exterior Sosa was uh, very playful and fun and, and kissing the fingers into the sky and everything. But we had also heard from reports from the media and from other players that he was that he was a he was a distraction in the locker room. And uh, his his time with the Cubs did not end well. Of course, he had the quirk bat moment and smashing a radio. Well, somebody smashed a, his boombox as he was leaving, leaving a game early. Uh, did not end well. And uh, and he has never been invited back to the Cubs at the time of this uh, this recording of this episode. Um, McGuire has been given another, another chance. He is actually in the majors coaching and he is in the inducted in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Um, there has been talk of inviting him back because enough time Sosa back to the Cubs is enough time has passed. Um, he hasn't said anything yet. Who's going to say something first, Sammy Sosa or Roger Goodell mentioning Colin Kaepernick and his apology? Anyway, there is that. But that being said, it was fun to revisit the, the chase and the media frenzy of long gone summer, which is going to be on ESPN Sunday nights. And of course, um, I've never seen a bad 30 for 30. I've seen disappointing ones, but never a bad one. So anyway, those those are the big films 
that I well one documentary one series that I got to see this week. So uh, before I get to your uh, your picks, I'm also going to go through some older films that I watch because that's how I do. Um, and sometimes it, it takes a death, and sometimes I try to also do a birthday to uh, to watch stuff and the never-ending pile of movies on my in my screening room, which gets smaller and smaller. And this time, I actually did a celebrated a birthday over the last weekend. Happy birthday to Bruce Dern. And it was a great excuse to revisit Nebraska, his Academy Award-nominated performance as a as a as an old guy who thinks he won the uh you know publishers sweepstakes not saying which company but you know sweepstakes over the mail and he's going he's won a million dollars and he, if he has to walk to Nebraska to do it he will and he winds up on a road trip with uh, his son played by Will Forte June Squibb plays his wife who also got a nomination for this uh beautifully shot in black and white and directed by Alexander Payne the gentleman who gave us election the descendants sideways um Another road trip film, obviously uh, considerably different than Sideways. And as I'm watching this, it is a it is. I was reminded this is kind of a '70s character film, and I think that meant if if that was the case, Bruce Dern would have played the son forty five years ago. But this time he is the old one. But it's it's uh it's it's a lovely performance from Dern as well as Forte. I mean, we know him from SNL and all of his other comedic adventures, but uh, this one. Uh, was particularly enjoyable, and uh, you also have uh, Stacy Keach coming off the bench as well, and uh, Bob Oldenirk, Oldenkirk. Um, also revisited Quiz Show because of the death of Herb Stemple. I think we mentioned that on the show last week. Uh, great, probably my favorite film re- directed by Robert Redford. No disrespect to uh, ordinary people. Um, just a really cool look at the uh, quiz show scandals of the 1950s. Uh, Ray Fiennes does a great job, as does uh, John Turturro as Herb Stemple. Um, Rob Morrow's accent, eh, but uh, but just a fun peeking behind the curtain, and uh, especially between the investigator played by Morrow and Fiennes' character, and Paul Schofield, who plays Ray Fiennes' father. There's, there's a scene... Uh, at their home where they're reciting Shakespeare is kind of a, a one-up contest if they can can you guess this and uh, I could watch Ray Fiennes and Paul Schofield recite Shakespeare for hours um, then sometimes it happens it, in my household I don't know how it is in yours uh, to get all three of us in it's been a little more challenging now than say at the beginning of the of the pandemic um, it was well, we all have our own existence. So, uh, but we were able to sit down as a trio, and we just came upon this. Emma, uh, my daughter Emma, had seen a clip of it, and uh, we actually gave it a shot, sight unseen. I had heard about it and read a couple reviews, but a bawdy little romp called "The Little Hours." This is the this is set in a convent in the 14th century. Aubrey Plaza, Allison Brie. John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, uh, Nick Offerman is in this as well, and it's a it's a rowdy a bunch of rowdy nuns who get excited when a uh, when a new st- uh, a new worker shows up of, in the form of a young man. Um, so it, it it gets a little beyond just foul mouth nuns, and it sounds like it's a almost like a college uh, gross out comedy. But it's set in the 14th century, I believe, in, in, in a small European village. So anyway, it was it, it hit the tone correctly for our family because, yes, occasionally the Sosi family likes a cinematic, bawdry romp. And that's what that provided. 
a uh, a big deal happening in my house for me uh, as as film nerd. Um, I, I had placed an order for a couple of box sets from Mystery Science Theater 3000. My my uh, well uh, my com- my collection of MST3K in uh, DVD form is almost complete. I don't have the reboot, and I have to work on that. But I, as far as the original volumes, I am now caught up. I had ordered these in the, I believe it was May fourth, and still nothing. And I knew that the mail was was slower this time around. I'm still with the U.S. Postal Service. I don't care what the president says. Um, and probably about two weeks ago, got an email from Shout Factory apologizing, and it was not a personal. It was just kind of a they they had to send out a mass one, I believe, uh, just saying that it's taking a little longer than expected. Be patient. And uh, it finally arrived. It finally arrived at the beginning of last week, or earlier this week, I should say, uh, Volume 24. Um, it's a decent collection. Here's what you got in Volume 24 of Mystery Science Theater 3000, if you need to know. Um, you have two film versions of Fugitive Alien, one of those uh, Sandy Frank productions where they took a Japanese TV action show and spliced it together in movie form. And they made two of these, and you get two of them. And it, it's a chore to go through uh, some of those. It's not, uh, as, as my buddy Erica said, it's not Gamera, and that is definitely the case. So there's two of those. You have The Sword and the Dragon, which I believe was a Finnish-Russian production of, well, a man with a magic sword who defends his village. Um, about 58 minutes into the film, there is finally a rift that there's no dragon, and the dragon shows up an hour and 22 into this. So uh, it's kind of like Frankenstein versus, uh, was it Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, where they fight literally in the last minute of the film. Um, so yeah, it's it's apparently an expensive movie in Finland, but uh, it's still kind of cheap nonetheless. The best film of this collection and I was happy to have this, Samson versus the Vampire Women. Stay with me on this. This is a Mexican film, and in Mexico, it's not Samson, but uh, El Santo, a masked Mexican wrestler, Lucha Libre, this time fighting a, uh, a, a an army of vampire women who've been asleep for 200 years. They have awoken, and they have henchmen, male henchmen, who look a lot like Mexican wrestlers. And uh, the, the queen of this group is going after her sister. But seeing, El, seeing Samson or El Santo show up out of the blue in his Lucha Libre mask, shirtless and wrestling, and res- other wrestling garb is, is, a, is a plus. There were a number of these El Santo films made in Mexico in the 50s and early 60s, and uh, th- this is one of them. So uh, I, if you seek this out, uh, definitely look for Samson and the Vampire Women. Um, and this this was also a note that this particular episode was Frank Conniff's last episode, TV's Frank. So uh, he, had, he had left the series after a five-year run uh, with, uh, with that. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. Um, also revisited with Mrs. Sosie, Mr. Holmes, uh, with two fine Ian McKellen performances because you have really old Sherlock Holmes and qu- not quite as old as really old Sherlock Holmes in flashback form. Uh, also got Laura Linney uh, in the film as well. Really, really solid work from from them, of course. 
Um, also, I uh, this I believe came out on streaming last week, but the racing documentary and we go green, directed by Fisher Stevens. Yep, and uh, Malcolm Venville, and it's about a Formula E racing, uh, the Formula E racing season, and the fact that uh, the F- Formula E wanted to go uh, green and have um, electric race cars as opposed to the fuel f- fuel ones, and uh, for the most part, the film the film works better in the final third. It follows the season of auto racing, 12 races, going everywhere from Hong Kong to Paris to New York to Mexico City. And uh, it, the first half of the film especially, the documentary, it's a little choppy because first we get long stretches about the the way that these cars are going to be made green and then we also get the introduction of the race of the racers themselves so um little infomercial at times borderline infomercial and then okay here here are the guys we're supposed to be following and rooting for you have one that has a, had a scandal back in 2008 you had another racer who was tormented by the death of his friend um you have the the rivalries the former partners who uh guys who were on the same racing team now racing against one another you got a, you have a Leo. I'm sorry, Orlando Bloom shows up briefly. Leonardo DiCaprio is walked is walked around the track by one of the heads of Formula E. Um, anyway, and and montages of the season. So, but once it gets into the second half and it's more about the the season and and who's going to win and how the cars are affected. Uh, then it works out pretty well. So anyway, that is that is available online as well. And we go green. Now, um, oh, I, and before I get to the main one of the main things that probably the, my favorite thing I watched this week, um, we as a family last night uh, at Emma's insistence, Emma had not yet seen Parasite. And this was another example of watching something, watching my daughter watch something that I had already seen. The best of that has been Skyfall. This one's pretty good, too. It was fun watching Emma squirm in the middle of that film when the family returns home and the the family of uh, grifters are all there. Um, she's hoping to check out. She'd seen Okja, and I, of course, recommended the other films by the filmmaker as far as dealing with the class system, everything from The Host to Snowpiercer. Um, uh, th- thanks again to Criterion. I actually paid for this one, so that's not, that's not what I was getting at. But uh, Criterion Collection... Um, had put out the film of Paul Schrader's uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. And and this uh, this was something I watched uh, yesterday. And it's about Yokio Mishima, who is uh, Japan's most celebrated author. Uh, 35 novels, 25 plays, 200 short stories, eight volumes of his work. And while, while uh, famous for his writing and uh, some of his radicalism, uh, also, the, we we get a splice between his life, his work, and then November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy, when f- he and four of, four cadets from his own private army um, entered Eastern Army headquarters, detained the commander, and he addressed the garrison about uh, about what he has been going through. Um, Paul Schrader is one of my favorite directors, and and you know if you need a guy going down a downward spiral, Paul Schrader is your guy. Um, in this one, the four chapters are beauty, art, action, and then harmony of pen and sword. 
And uh, I remember seeing this. This came out in 1985, and I rented it later that year. And because I knew this was the guy that had written uh, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, he had directed um, Hardcore and Blue Collar. And I think the film he did before this was Cat People and American Gigolo. He had done those. So I was I was fascinated. And my 15 year old brain didn't get it. It's it's visually a marvel still holds up. It's been it's been restored uh, obviously, Criterion is great at doing that, and it looks great. But I wasn't, my young teenage self was not ready for the story, and uh, I wish I had revisited it sooner, um, at least from start to finish. Um, we get, like I said, there, we get his life story in black and white. We get scenes from his work, which, of course, you, you wonder how much the art imitated life and vice versa. And uh, that is highly stylized in color and setting. It looks almost like it's done in a black box theater um, or in a sound stage. So almost uh, like an old time movie feel to it or stage feel to it. And then we get regular plain setting uh, light and tone when it comes to the invasion of the army headquarters. So, uh, but but a fascinating story, and it and a score by Philip Glass. Um, this was one. Two of the executive producers on this were Francis Coppola and George Lucas. So you had American Zoetrope and Lucas Films, and I can't remember if they plunked down ten million dollars combined or ten million apiece for a film that made five hundred thousand dollars, and they knew that they were not going to make their money back on this investment. They were supporting Paul Schrader. It's a tough sell if you're doing a film, by the way, of course, in Japanese with subtitles. Uh, so a subtitled film about a, I guess you could call bisexual writer who uh, winds up, uh, well, not really a spoiler, but winds up killing himself as a as a as a political protest or as a symbol or a, a piece of art i guess his 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 final art artistic expression um but a gorgeous looking film and and philip glass scores are can be easy to make fun of uh but it works really really well here so check out mishima a life in four chapters which is now on well it's been i i can't remember exactly when it came out on criterion but i finally got around to it so that's what I've got around to. What have you gotten around to? You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Before I get to yours, I guess I should mention, let's, let's see what's happening over at the Tibbs Drive-In. On screen one, you have The Invisible Man and Get Out. I, I do like the fact that we're getting older titles in the drive-in. Of course, that's uh, I didn't want them under these circumstances, but uh, cool nonetheless. Screen 2, The Short History of the Long Road, along with The High Note. On screen 3, Spies in Disguise and Trolls World Tour. And on screen 4, Selena and La Bamba, all happening at the Tibbs Drive-In. This weekend at the Skyline Drive-In in Shelbyville, you have Labyrinth. And legend. Nice 80s sci-fi fantasy there. Okay, here's now grab a pencil. Here's what you've been watching over the past week or so. 
We start, of course, with my friend Eric, who emails this to me. I'm part of, I'm part of an email uh, group where he sends me this. First time viewing for him the excellent 2017 comedy The Death of Stalin, of course, from uh, Armando Anucci, the uh, the creator of Veep and, of course, The Thick of It, and for me, uh, that as well as uh, In the Loop. Um, really, this was the funniest film of 2017. This made my top 10 list. So even though it's a, it's set in, uh, it's set in Russia as title of film is going on, uh, some really, really funny stuff, uh, really funny performances from Steve Buscemi, Michael Palin and others. Um, he also watched Young Adult, which he deems second rate. This was the second collaboration between writer Diablo Cody and director Jason Reitman. This was their follow-up to Juno. Uh, I liked it more than Eric did about a, uh, a, a writer played by Charlize Theron who's uh, not growing up well, whose life is a mess, and decides to go back to her, high, to her old town, her old childhood town, and hit up with her old high school flame played by Patrick Wilson. Uh, one of the better performances from Patton Oswalt is in this as an out, former outcast in school now uh, becoming an ally for Theron's character. So, And also the 2019 uh, documentary Peckinpah Suite, which he deemed good, uh, as he referred to a thoughtful reminiscence by film director Sam Peckinpah's youngest child, Lupita. Um, so I, I need to check that out because, oh, it's and financed by TCM Spain. I need to look for that because I am a, uh, a big Sam Peckinpah fan. Uh, the exceptional legal drama, Just Mercy, which is uh, of course available all over online to us, And it's been getting a lot of views lately. So sometimes it's in the timing, uh, good film. I agree as well. And he deemed, uh, early the film that came out uh, recently, the vast of night as fair. His rewatch was the not good 1954 Western Vera Cruz with Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster. So thank you again, Eric, for that. All right. Going to Twitter, uh, Lou Harry, who's been on the show, of course, has said he watched Thank God It's Friday. Hi, Megan. Always think of you when it comes to Thank God It's Friday. Pipeline, Ant-Man, and The Vast of Night. Eric at E. Studeville writes, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, Mr. Holland's Opus, Turning Maya onto Spielberg, or maybe just Richard Dreyfuss. Um, and he says, maybe next is Moon Over Parador. Just kidding. Um, Steven at uh, Chewy Walrus writes, since Saturday, he has watched the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Frighteners, King Kong Lives, Slither, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Hotel Artemis, Oz the Great and Powerful, Drag Me to Hell, For Love of the Game, Rango, The Quick and the Dead, Dark Man, somebody's been on the Sam Raimi kick. Uh, Crime Wave, The Good, The Bad, The Weird, Super 8, Overlord, Murder Mystery, and Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. Uh, Ju Julie writes at J. Curry Photo. She wrote Us, the film Us, and then hashtag What the Hell Did I Just Watched? Um,. Bob Bloom, who has been on the show, says the king of Staten Island and, of course, tells me to check it out. So that is all on uh, Twitter. Uh, going back, there's, and I love that because I, I asked for your responses on Thursdays, usually first thing Thursday morning. 
And what I often have to do is go back to last week's post and see who posted after the fact, whether they know it's for the film show or not. Uh, Cheryl writes, um, The Vast of Night and Rewatch Michael Clayton. I do need to look this up on Thursdays. Thank you, Cheryl. Taylor writes, Laura, Marriage Story, Lawrence of Arabia, Andrew Blake's Hard Edge, and The Underworld Story. So that's that. Okay, back to your list from Thursday. Lisa Lisa cracks me up. Uh, Lisa said, Rosewood and the Betsy. And I read her post last week, and I asked, didn't you watch the Betsy last week? And she said, yes, watched it again with my husband. Also watched Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Uh, Lisa, I'll tell you, Bob and Tom are going to be impressed that you watched the Betsy twice in one week. Um you just have to look it up, folks. Uh, Michelle writes, The Producers, 2005, first time. And uh, I know Michelle. And I This is uh, – we, we showed Emma The Producers in Palm Springs when she was four. And, uh, so, and I wrote, she liked Ula. Michelle said, I did not. Um, so the story on this is we were in Palm Springs, and it was the one rainy day in Palm Springs that we had, and we decided to go to a movie, Lynn, Lynn and Emma and I and Lynn's parents. Emma was four at the time. Now, before this, we had I had railed against people who – parents who brought little kids to movies they really have no business being at. Um, and you know who they are, and you know who you are. No, but, I mean, I, I've seen – People get dragged. I've seen little kids get dragged to movies because it's free or the parents can't get a sitter or what have you. Just not a not a smart move. And so after barking about this for a while, we're out in California. Nobody knows us. It's a rainy day in Palm Springs. We decide to give it a chance. Now, Emma had seen animated films in the theater with me, so we gave it a shot. And as we were watching this. You hear that in the background. Um, anytime there was – this is the musical version of the producers. Anytime there was something questionable coming up, Lynn and I would look at Emma, and Emma's just emerged with the screen and in munching on popcorn along the way. And uh, when the film gets over, we walk out, and I said to my darling daughter, did you like the movie? And she said, uh-huh. And I said, well, what did you like about it? And she said, I liked Ula. And I said, well, get in line, kid. And then I believe Lynn smacked me in the shoulder. And what every dad doesn't want to – dads dread a question like this. And I finally said, Emma, what does Ula do? And she answered, well, she sings and dances, and she wears a white dress, and she wears a blue dress, and she paints the office. And I thought, well, she didn't say anything about uh, doing things with Matthew Broderick. So I guess we dodged a bullet on that one. So anyway, got to tell that story again. Thank you, Michelle. Sorry you didn't like Ula. And uh, Brian Hartz has been on this show. There Then became a little bit of a dialogue on Facebook. Here's an interesting subgenre. Movies based on musicals based on movies. And he wrote, the only two I can think of off the top of my head are this and the live action Disney Beauty and the Beast. Neither is especially good. Are there others in this category, any of them worth watching? And Diana chimed in, Hairspray, movie by John Waters, then a musical, then a movie mu version of the musical. And she also wrote, and the second movie is not as good as the first. All right. Uh, Michelle also chimed in with uh, Johnny Tsunami. Uh, Brian 
chime, wrote in, uh, now we're back into what you've watched recently. Uh, Turbo Kid, The Girl with All the Gifts, The Man Who Killed Hitler, and then Bigfoot. Nice. Sam Elliott there. Uh, Nick writes Nick Rogers, The Lodge, Irresistible, The Insurrection, Malcolm X, and The Five Bloods. I know that opens today on, uh, on I believe it was Netflix, as well as uh, The King of Staten Island. I will hopefully be watching both of those and talking about them on next week's show. Jared writes, Brian Banks, Selma, Jess Mercy, see a trend, he says, and Matrix 2. Scott Reichs, uh, writes, Pocket Full of Miracles, which I need to watch. I don't think I've seen that because I, saw, I watched a documentary about um, Frank Capra last week, as well as Inside the Actor Studio, because that's the second film that Peter Falk ever did. Peter Falk did Murders Incorporated and In Pocket Full of Miracles, his two, first two films, and earned back-to-back Best Supporting Actor nomination. So there's that. Scott also watched The Train with Burt Lancaster, which is a really good uh, action drama. Um, with John Frankenheimer directed that. And, Scott, I always remember the, the great scene. It's a single take. Uh, Lancaster loved to do his stunts whenever possible, but him running from one end of a train area uh, to another, going up and down ladders, and chasing and land, jumping and landing onto a moving train. You have to see it if you get a chance. But, yeah, look for the train, I believe, 1965. Uh, Maria writes Fifth Element. Britt chimes in one of my all-time faves. Joe Shearer, who's been on this show, both ends of the glass. Uh, Deranged, The Last Days of American Crime, Macabre, The Night Clerk, The Mutilator, Grotesque, Long Gone Summer, which he says, I'm here to talk about the past. He's a Cardinals fan. Uh, Torso, Becky, Population 436, and The Last Shark. Doug writes, Incinerary Blonde, Uncut Gems, and The Harder They Fall. Gregory writes, Inglorious Bastards. Daniel writes, Harriet and the Invisible Man. Two titles there, folks. Uh, Randy writes, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, Mark writes, Official Secrets. Uh, Matt writes, The Vast of Night really impressed me. Love the Twilight Zone homages and the retro feel of it. Impressive camera work, too. Uh, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which he deems solid documentary about the star of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and what the role and the homophobic reaction to the movie, uh, homophobic reaction to the movie did to her, to his career. Sorry. Um, yeah. The Wrong Missy, meh. Standard hot, happy Madison movie. Lauren Lapkus does a solid job. Thank you, Matt. Andrew writes, we, we, we re-watched The Matrix, and I enjoyed it more this time around. Stephanie writes, good boys. I laughed a lot during this one. Andrew gave me a photo of The Matrix while they're doing cartwheels. Uh, Rachel writes, initial D, Mary Poppins Returns, and Big Hero 6. Cliff writes, Blade Runner. Gary writes, Three Penny Opera, Torso, and This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse. Sounds like a midnight movie. Michelle writes, uh, Living in Oblivion. Eric writes, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I'm, I'm with you there, Eric. I watched that a few weeks ago. Uh, Mark writes, The Professor and the Madam. Melissa writes, The Help, Just Mercy, and Scream. Uh, Todd writes, Oh, Lord, let's see. Blood for Dracula, The Fear Chamber, Reptilius, and Theater of Blood. Um, with David chiming in, blood, ah, blood of blood for Dracula. Nothing beats the one guy in Eastern Europe. He, in, 
gosh, I can't read today. Nothing beats the one guy in Eastern Europe with a New York accent. Tony Curtis and Spartacus knows what you're talking about. Uh, Darren writes, Onward, Best in Show and Horse Feathers. David writes, Goodfellas and I Am Not Your Negro, which has been getting also quite a quite a number of views recently. Uh, Patty writes, uh, Myself, I rewatch Black Klansmen. As for the family, the men who stare at goats, and we'll be watching salmon fishing in the Yemen this weekend. We've also been catching up on PBS's Endeavor. Daniel writes, Destry Rides Again, The Court Jester, Love, or Love Gilda, uh, <laughs> Love, Gilda, Lawrence of Arabia, Mad to be Normal, Critic's Choice, Top Secret, The Son of Paleface, Boogie Nights, Three Musketeers, the uh, Richard Lester version with Michael York, and Anti-Mame. Nikki writes, Rewatch Gone Girl and the documentary Stranger Fruit. Uh, Helen writes, We watched Just Mercy and 13th this week. Chris writes, Elephant. This is Gus Van Sant's Elephant. I had no idea what it was about, only knew it was well regarded. I was lulled by a beautifully filmed slice of American life and youth until it took what one might call a turn. It certainly lived up to its reputation. Uh, Stacy writes, Eric and Maya movie watch party. They started on Spielberg. We heard Eric earlier. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We watched Jaws last night. And then Maya and, and Eric watched Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, on Taps, E.T., Summer Rental, Big, and Catch Me If You Can. And, of course, Stacy being a mother, Maya's got a crush on Leo. And I, we we broadcast that here. Uh, I think and my response was Emma saw Leo first. But I think Emma will go with older Leo DiCaprio, not quite uh, baby-faced DiCaprio. I'll have to check with her. See, I'm a parent, too. Jay writes, we watched The Disaster Artist last night. Quirky, odd, but really good. James Franco did a great job portraying Tommy Wiseau. Emily writes, my husband and I watched Aladdin 2019 and Aladdin 1992. Sarah, Sarah White, who's been on the show, writes uh, 13th. Mary writes, the original The Fly and Fly 2. So I guess the black and white version of The Fly and then the 80s sequel of The Fly. Anyway, uh, The Night Stalker, Gravity, and Salem's Lot. Brian writes Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, and The First Mission Impossible. That's from 1996. That's the one with the wires, directed by Brian De Palma. Simon, Simon Majumdar, who's been on this show. Uh, <laughs> uh, I watched Uncut Gems, which was execrable, sorry. Dawn Patrol, David Niven and Errol Flynn, which was wonderful. And the two Bahubali films, hope I'm saying that right, which are possibly the best historical action films of the last decade. Thank you, Simon. Corey writes the original Wicker Man. Frank writes the autopsy of Jane Doe. Britt times in with her list of uh, the Care Bears movie, What Men Want, S Silence of the Lambs, Stalin is Dead, not the death of Stalin, just checking, Up, The Greatest Showman, Cinderfella, The Best of Enemies, Public Enemies, and The Big Country. Uh, Jacob writes, uh, rewatch Men in Robin Hood Men in Tights, still solid. Uh, what was it? Uh, Nathan Rabin just wrote about that a couple weeks ago. Spencer writes, uh, this may not count, but HBO's McMillions documentary is surprisingly interesting, funny, sad, and entertaining. I can count, Spencer. 
Uh, Diana writes, Confederate States of America, Maleficent, the second one, and I Am Not Your Negro. Devin writes, 101 Dalmatians, animated and live-action version. Joellen writes, Gentleman's Agreement, still pertinent today in many ways. Um... Oh, Taylor updated his uh, marriage story, My Man Godfrey, Duck Soup, A Man Called Adam, and Andrew Blake's Hard Edge. Wayne writes, This is England, Get Crazy, and House of Games. Get Crazy is another one that needs to get a proper Blu-ray release. Um, This was 1983, if I remember right, of a a rock music festival. Daniel Stern, one of his early films in it. Malcolm McDowell's in this as well. And it's got a myriad of odd rock and blues bands and punk bands. And I don't know what's Ed Begley's in Jr.'s in this as well as Alan Garfield. Um, But it's a it's a weird, odd, wacky kind of gross out if if you if uh if you combine woodstock with animal house i guess or bachelor party but uh really i I enjoyed it and it was on cable a lot in the in the mid 80s uh david writes north by northwest and finally lynn says back to back hannah and the american i lay despondent here's two hollywood endings hang in there lynn and hang in there everybody so uh, there you go. I hope uh, hope the, the the rattling off of titles did something for you. Hope you you are inspired to check something out. Uh, if you get a chance, the drive-ins are open, and it seems safer to do that in your car and distance away from each other. And apparently, concerts are now going to be screened up on the uh, the drive-in screen. So be on the lookout for those. Hopefully, not as expensive as the Garth Brooks tour. Anyway, um, friends. Some words to live by. Silent Green is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. There's plenty out there. I hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying sane. I hope we can go to a movie soon in a theater. I'm not quite there yet. Drive in, absolutely. But uh, we will all get there. So hang in there. We're going to end this week's show with uh, a little bit of the Pointer Sisters because uh, Bonnie Pointer, one of them, passed away, one of the sisters, passed away earlier this week. No, I'm not doing Neutron Dance, and I'm not doing I'm So Excited. My first encounter with the Pointer Sisters came in the 1976 comedy Car Wash as they played the Wilson Sisters backing up Daddy Rich, played by Richard Pryor. Here are the Pointer Sisters, you got to believe. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.
I can't believe you'd let her watch Manos. <laughs> Is she scarred for life? Let's put it this way. What parent are you? <laughs> When I wake her up, I vocalize the theme to wake her up to get her ready to school. Oh, you're a terrible father. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll We'll do it live!